Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Flag, the aftermatch podcast of the LFC Red Poets. I'm your host, Les Lawson, and I'm joined tonight by Tom Keegan, Pete Warburton, and Ben Kent Jr. to look back at last night's importance 4 1 home victory against Luton that kept Liverpool on top of the table. So, Tom, injury crisis, you know, after the game at the weekend, you know, where we lost Jota and, and Curtis, and then we found out that they were going to be out for a fair while. You know, we then learned sort of the, the, the possibility of no Mo and no Darwin involved, you know, in the game on Wednesday and come, you know, half past six last night, the teams dropped and neither of them are in the squad. So, you know, when you when you looked at the team, it was basically, you know, all the sort of midfielders and forward players that we have all with Harvey Elliott, you could say, you know, we could play either role, but all of them were involved and there was only, like, talk of experience, there was only experienced defenders on the bench with a lot of the young lads. And so, there wasn't really a lot of, that you could do with the team from the midfield going forward, was there? Other than what was selected. No, I was, I was saying to the lads when I seen the side, it was a you could tell it was a really, really young side out there. You know, like, and you you were thinking at the. I I, I sent you a text that they or you and Peter on the on the group, didn't I? I was saying like, you've these next four games are going to define our whole season. You know, like. And how you feel, you know, like we've just got to get through this period. And this was a game that I was looking at and I thought, with I, I, I had an idea, I thought that either Salah or, or Nunes might have made the bench. I thought if they make the bench and we don't have to use them, you know, that like they'd be there. But when you see both of them were out, so, oh my God, you just dropped them. But then you're looking at the players that you've got out there and I was saying, you look, you know, like at at, at Gakpo. You look at you look at Diaz. You look at Virgil. You look at you know Joe Gomez. You look at you know like the, the Gravenberg to a certain extent. McAllister. You know, like there was plenty of quality endo, plenty of quality players out there, Les. But like you, you must admit everybody who looked at the side was worried. I, I must have thought like it's going to be a a little bit harder. To, to dig a result out. Peter, it, Tom's right there, isn't he, in that, you know, you were hoping that, you know, with the rumours of Darwin and Mo, and I know I, I sort of felt the same as Tom, that possibly, you know, they, they wouldn't be in the starting 11 or, or maybe one of them would and one of them would be on the bench and they could do maybe 45 each. Um, and then to see the team drop and none of them being involved, you, you're looking and thinking, well, and Tom was right in, in, in exactly what he said. You're looking and saying there's plenty of quality out there. But, you know, when you're looking at the bench, there's only, you know, although the youngsters have got immense quality, you're looking and you're thinking, you know, there's not much experience out there if you need to make a forward change or, you know, things aren't going well and you need to chase the game. And that was the concerning part, wasn't it? Yeah, that was the main talking point at our time by us, to be honest, because... With all, yeah, like you say, the, kids... the game, yeah, Peter. Don't start talking about half time. No, but uh, <laughs> when, when you look, when, when you look at this, the lineup, 
The only, the only two on the bench that you could probably say could have started instead of ANO, there was probably Robbo and Canate. And then you're looking at the rest of the bench and, and they are all kids, aren't they? But I don't know. You, have, you probably have to look at it be philosophical and you've got no Nunes or Salah on the bench and you just hope that you don't... I mean, if, if one of them had a played or both of them had played and aggravated another injury, I'm open with this little layoff that they've had. They're getting obviously treated and that and they're going to be fit for Sunday. So, yeah, but you looked at the 11 they picked and, and as I say, I'm... I'm I'm happy with Joe Gomez at left back. Uh, and I'm happy with Quonset at centre back. So I wasn't disappointed in that respect. But as I say, you looked at the bench and realistically there was only Robbo and um and Canata who you said could have possibly played in, instead of them two. The rest of the team probably picked itself because of the injury crisis we've got, you know. Yeah, Ben, and it was you know, it was the first time really this season, wasn't it, that that we were without all three of Jota, Nunes and Salah, because there's always been at least two of those available for the vast majority of the games this season. So all of a sudden, you're wondering how, how Harvey Elliott's going to do because he's going to be playing you know, as the right-sided forward. And it's a, a position that many fans think that doesn't suit Harvey to the best. And then you've got you've got Gakpo and Diaz. Diaz, who you're thinking... You know, let's sort of, you know, be honest, they're not they're not the the most natural of goal scorers, you would think. Like like the other three, if you're talking in terms of who your goal getters are, you put the other three ahead of them. So that was a little bit it was a little bit concerning, wasn't it? And all of a sudden, whereas like two weeks ago you're looking at the Luton game and you're thinking, you know, something, get that, get three points in that game in the lead up to the um you to the cup final. It's another one out the way. It should be fairly comfortable with a full strength side. All of a sudden, it seemed a little bit more tricky, didn't it? It did. And walking up to the cop last night, um, I wouldn't say I was nervous because I wasn't, but I was a lot more, what's the word, wary possibly um, than I should have been for two reasons, really. <clears throat> I completely forgot about this game over the weekend. So when we were um when we were playing Bournemouth, um sorry, Brentford, um and Nunes went off at half time. I just thought that was purely and simply because of the cup final. I completely forgot that we were playing midweek. Um and I think just the way that a lot of the, the talk has been, it's been about the cup final rather than this game last night. Um but we were completely down to the bare bones. Um, I actually thought Robbo would have started um, just to offer that whip, because um, I do think that was lacking, especially in the first half. But it it shows you two points, really. The strength of the squad to have 10 players out, I think, and still have a good team. That that was a good team that last night. I know there was a couple of youngsters in it, Um but, you know, that that team we put out last night was far better than Everton's first-choice team, to put it in context, without all of the injuries that we've got. So it's one hell of a squad. And it just shows you the faith that Jürgen's got in the in the, the young players coming through. Because I am thinking one of Mo or Darwin could have made the bench, but I think possibly the faith that he's got 
um, in the kids like Dan's came on, didn't he? And he's a forward. So maybe that's the reason why they weren't risked with an eye on Sunday. Um, but it, I don't think there was much choice out of the squad that Jürgen had for the team, bar as he think um, Robbo could have started. But, you know, it wasn't the worst team that I've ever seen rock up at Anfield um, that it, uh, Liverpool managers picked. So, yeah, it was ultimately good enough, wasn't it? Yeah, Tom. I mean, Ben's got a point there, isn't he? You know, he, he, he's made the point there that it was a good side. I agree with you. I agree with what you said, you know, you, you know when you opened the podcast. And when you actually think of, you know, the likes of, um, you know, Danny Wilson, Jovanovic, Joe Cole, were in start Liverpool 11s, you know, you'd have been, you wouldn't have put any of them in that Liverpool side last night, would you, too? Mm-hmm. You know, to start last night, I don't think you'd have we'd have wanted them on the bench either, to be honest. So that just shows, you know, the strength and depth that we've got. But Liverpool, Liverpool, to be fair, Tom made a really quick start for once, and we have, I think we have to sort of say this: Lewis Diaz should have put us two up in the first five minutes. Yeah, do you know what? I was listening to an interview afterwards with Virgil Van Dijk at the end of the game. And um, he said, what, what they'd done at the beginning, he started so well and pressed all the way through. And he said, and what they what did, he said, they rushed the final ball. Well, I think sometimes when, you, when you're panicking and you're inexperienced, and when I use the word inexperienced, I'm talking about like likes of... Um, likes of likes of Gravenberch, and I'm, I'm talking about the likes of Harvey Elliott, and, you know, like... In, and, you know, like they're only young players, still, even though they've got like loads of mileage and games and everything, they're still relatively young, aren't they? So, you, you tend to, you do tend to rush if you're trying to rush the ball. And I think the first one, I don't know what, and I don't know what Louis was doing the first one. He just, he just didn't do anything, but he didn't get it under control and he let the ball run away from him. And like, so it was a nothing. It was a nothing one. It was a brilliant ball by Harvey Elliott for the second one. Absolutely superb ball. And he'd done really well, except he put it wide, which, you know, you would have bet your life on him scoring at that, at that position. But as you say, when you're, when you're panicking because you know that the team is not as strong up front as what we're used to, these chances, you think you've got to take these chances so you sort of snatched at it. And then I think that's what happened with the first couple of chances. But as you said, you you couldn't fault the efforts or or the way that he set out the game. To be fair, Pete. And then not long after after the two chances for Louis, I think Harvey Elliott also had the chance. And yeah, we he miscontrolled the ball when it went into the box, and that chance slowly disappeared. And then they sort of broke away. You know, went down our, our right hand side. The ball got sort of played into the box. Kells made a decent save. Some people think maybe he could have done a bit better. And there was on Benny to to nod in the deflection at the at the back post. And all of a sudden you're thinking, we should be at least two up here. And we found ourselves one down. And then the apprehension that Ben was mentioning before. You know, and you're thinking, blooming hell, you know, I hope this isn't going to be, you know, one of those nights or the night where, 
you know, the whole thing blows up with, with the injuries and, you know, you, you find, we're finding ourselves unexpectedly 1-0 down, you know, after about 10 minutes or so. Yeah, I think Tom's right going to your first point. Um, there was a little bit of, not panic, but they, they, weren't, <clears throat> they weren't taking, I mean, the first chance for Diaz, I just thought he should have buried it and somehow it got under his feet and even went behind him, I think, at one stage. And then the one where he got on the end of it and, and put it wide. I I'm in the camp. I thought Kells could have done better on the um, on the goal. I thought it looked I've only I've only seen the, the replays tonight of the goals. And I thought he was anticipating a cross from that um Chong and he sort of went out a yard or so further than he should have done. And when the ball came in where it did, he, he tried to get it. It sort of went through him, to be honest, like, you know, under him and through him. And then it got deflected up. And, then, and in fairness, the lad put it away well at the far post. But, yeah, you start thinking, I don't know. I've always, all through the season, when we've gone behind, I've never worried. I've never panicked, really. I've always thought it, we've got it in us to come back. You know, even when we were up at Newcastle and the game was getting late at early season, I've always thought we, we've got goals in us. Like you were saying, there was there was another incident soon after where Gakpo I think uh, tried an overhead, and and I decided the keeper and it had gone in and it went down his throat and that, and you just start thinking like you just said then, you know the pressure's on us. City won the night before, although it wasn't convincing. They they got the three points they needed, and you just wondered then if going behind to a team that's probably never played together before with all the injuries, you're just thinking is it is the pressure gonna tell on us you know and and so it you know the first half I, I wasn't disappointed in the way we played because like you say we took the game to Luton it was just disappointing that we couldn't put away some of the chances and it was in the back of your mind that as I say going back to the bench with all due respect to the kids you're just wondering who up front is going to come on and, and you know be the spark that we might need and yeah you know Pete's, Pete's right there isn't he you know we you're thinking there, you know, we should have been at least 2-0 up. We find ourselves 1-0 down. And then all of a sudden then, the play then becomes a little bit frantic. And what I mean by that is that, as Tom mentioned earlier, the final ball seemed to be a little bit rushed. And the passes were getting either under it or over it. And then when we were getting in, they were getting blocks in. The referee was a little bit fussy with things and blowing off the little f- niggles here and there. They were trying to slow the game up and you know, and, and continually foul, make little niggly fouls to stop us you know, getting into our flow. And, and all of a sudden, you know, with the with the likes of you know, the three out of three forwards out that we've mentioned, it was a case of, you know, the crowd as the as the first half started to go on you could see the crowd starting to get a little bit more edgy and, and get frustrated by the by the, the sort of under it and over it passes and, and everything else that was going on. And in the end, you know, I don't know what Pete's lot had done to upset Jürgen, but just before half-time, Jürgen had to go at the, uh, the main stand ultras. You know what I mean? So, yeah, so it was a bit, it was a bit frustrating, wasn't it, Ben? 
It was. I, I was wondering why Pete was looking a little bit sad, and it makes a bit more sense now. Yeah. Um, and to be oh, fair, I didn't. It wasn't our end. He was having a go up. We were all right. It was the other end. It was it's all right, Pete. Up. It's all right. You're over it now. He's, he's, we won. He was happy at the end. Um, I think the first half, we were trying to chase it too much, weren't we? Um, the besides the first five to ten minutes where we we played really well and like you said Diaz could have had two or three um he definitely needs to be more clinical um than he is because he, he he gets in positions so many times and just doesn't get the end product that he should have a player of his quality um but the whole team was just trying to force it too much um and I think it was summed up and I'm not picking on him in any way here but Elliot sort of summed up the first half performance. Um, just his, he was in, he was playing in the front three, which I think we'll all agree. I don't think that's his best position. Um, but he was actually playing in midfield in that first half. He was dropping deep the whole time, and it just the whole balance of the team, the shape of the team was just lost. I felt sorry for Connor Bradley because there was no outlet for him at all in that first half and he was suffering because of it um, but I can't remember half your questions to be honest Les but um, the crowd definitely didn't help um, there was a lot of anxiousness in the crowd I think nervousness um, even at half time when I was having a drink with the lads a few of them were like this season could be over now okay <laughs> Um we didn't play badly in the first half. Luton had one chance, I think. And I haven't seen the goal back. For me, where I watched it, I didn't think Kelleher was at fault. But like I said, I haven't seen it back, so I don't know. Um, I think he was unlucky there, and the lads at the back post did take it well. It fell kindly for him, but he still had to take it. And fair play to him. It's annoying the, way, the amount of times teams come to Anfield and score with the first attempt. Um, that was another one yesterday. But... The crowd were definitely nervous yesterday. And I think, obviously, the Man City results the day before didn't help. And you're right, they didn't play particularly well, I don't think. Um, I'm glad that they didn't increase the goal difference. Um, so, yeah, it wasn't... I think it was just a case of getting to half-time um, and letting Jürgen work his magic because it was almost like if we wouldn't have had that break... We might well have ended up losing it because we just we didn't look like scoring. We were taking shots from everyone in the first half. Elliot, Diaz, Gakpo, I think Gravenberg had a good chance as well when there was a counter break. Um and I think we were four on two at one point when Gravenberg was running through. And I was screaming for him to pass it to I think it was Gakpo. And he shot with his left foot and it was just a terrible effort. Um and I don't know how many shots we had in the first half. But I can't think of many which tested their goalkeeper. Um, so, yeah, like I said, I think we just needed half time and the manager to work his magic. I must admit, though, I said to my dad on half an hour, I would have brought Robertson on then to offer whip. And I, I, was, I said to him, I'd put Diaz on the right, I'd drop Elliot deeper central and put Robbo um, in front of Gomez um, just to offer whip. But obviously, Jürgen knows better than me. and you know, he got it right, didn't he? Tom, Ben was right there. We we, we struggled in the first half to get Conor Bradley into the game, especially going forward. 
And I think you have to give Luton a little bit of credit for that because what they were doing is they, they were going man-to-man on players. So Because I can remember watching once where the guy, I can't remember what number it was, but one of their defenders, Harvey Elliott, moved from the right-hand side right across to the other side and the fella just followed him. Mm. And that Chong, he was sort of man-marking McAllister. And then, of course, and then that Alfie Doherty was sort of stood and stopping Connor Bradley from getting forward. So we couldn't really get any sort of momentum into our into our game or get our, our more influential players you know, involved. And it did become frustrating, didn't it, Tom? Yeah, I, I, there's a few little points there, Les, what you were saying. You know, I think, you know, what we, I think someone touched about the old, the old, the main stand ulcers. I think what I play, somebody had to go at Harvey Elliott, apparently, for a wayward pass. pass. And he, he screamed, he, he, he turned, he, it was in earshot of Jürgen Klopp, and he turned. <laughs> Went ballistic at the fella. I'm like, I just, I you was a piece. I it wasn't me. And just to correct you, I'm in the main stand mafia. I'm not one of the okay. others. <laughs> okay. But um, sorry about that. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't ever accuse you. <laughs> um, but, but I think it was a strange first half, you know, Les. I was talking afterwards about it with, with our Michael and we were just having a little chat. And um I, I said to him, you know, what you've just said there, I thought their back four was excellent in the first mm-hmm. half. I thought, like, what you said, I thought I, I thought they got really tight, man-marked in some some cases, and, like, denied the space. And the the ball, I know this sound is going to sound like, 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 like sour grapes, but it, it really isn't. I think the ball bounced for them an awful lot. I think when... After times when the ball come away, like what Peter said before about Diaz, he lost control of the ball or he missed missed time the flight of the ball, and that that seemed to be happening a lot. Whereas they were getting the bodies in the way of all the time in the first half, and like we were, as I said before, we were rushing everything and and really not getting any sort of rhythm. And what you said about Conor Bradley, I thought Harvey Elliott had, had, had a funny first half because. He gave away the ball quite a few, quite a few times, and he made a few wayward passes. But do you know what? He was driving and he was pressing really hard. So I was looking at what what he was what he was sort of giving to the team and what he was doing. We were pressing fantastically well as a unit. Endo McAllister, and like so, when you're going in, you think. I'd said to I'd said to one of the. the to one of the lads, I said, you know, you feel with us at the moment that, you know, they can't keep going at that rate for the whole of the game. And you just felt that Liverpool would eventually get a chance and put the chance away. And I just thought, you know, like, so overall, we goes in disappointed. And I think, you know, like, you looked at him, we were thinking, oh, God, you know, I, I was never in a situation where I thought, oh, this is the end. The league's gone. You know, like because I'm not, I'm, I'm old enough and wise enough to realise that like football matches change very quickly. You know, so I, I, I thought, I thought it was a good time at one nil when we went in for Jürgen to do what he had to do. 
Pete, now you can come and talk about what you were talking about right at the very start of the podcast and what you were talking about at half time. Um, but yet we goes in one nil down, and you are right. You know the talk was then. You're looking at the bench, you're thinking, you know, what can we do here to sort of, you know, to change things round? You know, Ben made the point there about bringing Rubber One, maybe playing him on the left. You know, somebody else suggested that, you know, we should move, bring Rubber One, play him at left back, move Joe Gomez to right back, and play Connor Bradley where, where RV Elliott was. I, I thought, you know, looking at the bench, I thought, well, if you want a natural right-sided player on a right wing, you can put Gay Gordon on. Mm. And they were the discussions that we were taking place at half-time because, you know, people were sort of thinking without the the main three goal scorers, if you like, that, you know, we were going to struggle to get into the game. So, so, so what was, I take it your thinking was very similar? Yeah, that was the, that was the, um, the type, you know, the discussion that was going on and it was, I mean, I've, I've I've watched these kids on on LFC TV playing for the academy, and they're fantastic kids. But because of the magnitude of the game, you know, like as I say, City had won the night before, so put a bit of pressure on, and you know, we, we were eager for the three points. And you just think, and in fairness, our Holly came the game with us last night, and the way she described the Luton back three, they're, they're all units. She said the big big <laughs> lads, and and to, to you know to, to as well as as well as the kids have done in the in the academy, you just think can can Jaden Dans can Kate Gordon physically stand up to these people, you know, because they were bloody big lads and he like Tom said, they just seemed to be got to the stage where they were the ball was dropping for them and they were defending well. So yeah, that was the talk at half time and, and there were a few permutations like Ben said. Someone said, bring Robber one and switch, switch it round and, and let Joe go to right back, move Connor into midfield. Because with the best will in the world, Harvey Elliott's not a forward, like Ben said. He's he's not got the pace, really, to get away from players. Um, and he did have an indifferent first half. And I think that was the reason, you know, it was quite audible when passes went astray or under hit or over hit. You know, the crowd were not on his back, but you, you could sense the, the tension and that. So he had to talk at half time was how is he gonna change it? And I thought, you know, I, I said at one stage, just throw the just make two or three subs and throw all the kids on and let their enthusiasm get it through. But, you know, like Ben said, that's why we're sitting here and Jurgen's Jurgen's manager of Liverpool, he sees something different. But um yeah, the, I wouldn't say everyone was worried, but everyone was just scratching their heads thinking, where do we go from here? Because we've been knocking on the door. For 45 minutes and we haven't scored, you know. Uh, but then, obviously, we'll talk about the second half and the turnaround now. Yeah, Ben. Pete's right there what he said, isn't it? You know, I think the fact that we were playing the night after City had won and City had won and then, you know, Chelsea had done us a favour sort of last Saturday by getting the draw at the, at the MTAD. You know, so, you know, all of a sudden... You know, the 115 has couldn't go ahead of us, um, you know, by playing on Tuesday. Then all of a sudden, with us being one down last night, the sort the thought pattern suddenly looks and thinks, well, okay, if we if we don't get back into this game and come back to win it, then come the time we kick off, 
in the Carling Cup final on Sunday, there's a real possibility that we could be third. And all of a sudden, psychologically, I think that would have been a massive blow, you know, both to the fans and the players alike. So it was important that, you know, we come out in the second half and this time took our chances and and made sure that we got the three points that were badly needed. So, you know, they lost Le Congo, I think, at half time. And he was he had a he was a decent he was having a decent game for them. So whether that was injury related or not, I don't know. But they he was replaced at half time by then. And then after about the first four or five minutes of the second half, Liverpool started to get Connor Bradley into the game. And Connor Bradley seemed to get Liverpool the momentum they, they, they needed to put the pressure on. And then there was a there was a shout for handball. And then from then on, the, it woke, wouldn't say woke the crowd up because I thought that the noise level around field and the atmosphere was good all night. But it took it to another level. I'll start on the atmosphere. Um, it was a good atmosphere last night. Um, considering the opposition, we we could all sit here and say the atmosphere is great every game, but it's not. Um, but especially in the second half, I thought I thought the fans played the part there. Um, genuinely did. It was one of the the better atmospheres this season, if not the best atmosphere at Anfield um, of this season, definitely. Um, and the second half, I thought we looked like a totally different team. Like I said earlier. Jürgen obviously worked his magic again. Um, just rejuvenated all of them. Um, and you're right about Conor Bradley. He he looked like the player that we've seen for the, the last four or five games. Um, he was bombing down the line, um, getting into positions. And a lot of that was because of Elliot. He was more intelligent in the second half. He was, he was playing a lot better. Um, more he was deeper, wasn't he, Ben? Yeah, he was playing that, a bit that's where deeper, he should be. That, that's yeah. where he should be. Um, and that's that's what I mean. He was he was just it was his more natural position, wasn't it? Um, and there was definitely a tweak of some kind elsewhere. Um, the handball, I was convinced that was a penalty. I've seen it back, and now I'm not so sure. But being on the cop, being at the heat of the moment, I was going mad because I thought that was a penalty. And I said to my dad, I was like, what is the point of these referees if they're not going to give anything? That's what VAR is there. They should still be making the decisions and then VAR should be saying, no, it isn't. And not the other way around. Like, you don't want to be waiting like a minute for a decision. Like, the referees don't referee the game anymore. And it really, really annoys me. Um, I didn't think the ref had a good game last night. To be honest, I thought he was quite petty. There was an instance in the first half when Van Dijk um, was about to take a free kick and the lad kicked Three times. Three yeah. times. And the referee had a word of him. And, but then he booked uh, Gomez for doing that in the second he, half. He didn't, actually. He booked Gomez for a shirt pull. Oh, did yeah. he? Uh, yeah. Okay. I, I mean, I'm like you, Ben, to be fair. Yeah. When it, when it, when I saw Cecina in the game, yeah, yeah. I went off my head at the referee. Yeah, so did I, yeah. Right. Yeah. Because I thought he booked him for kicking mm. the ball away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but even when, when you see, honestly, right, God, when idea. you see, yeah. when you see what he booked him for, it's right. even worse than him kicking the ball away because yeah. he never. Well, there was a, like this is the thing about refereeing. Referees not refereeing. 
there was a penalty shout on Van Dijk in the um, and he basically had a shirt like his collar was literally down here, and yeah. you just think like how can you not see that and like how wasn't the line the linesman couldn't see it because the linesman was behind him. So fair play, he couldn't. But the referee should have seen it. Like it was where the ball was going, um, and if that was Man City, that was a penalty. <laughs> um, it was less than what they got at Old Trafford. Um, Can I just interject for one second yeah. when you've mentioned linesmen? There, mm. linesmen have become the dads of the Sunday football teams. Because I used to do the line when our Jack played, and all you, all <laughs> all, all they asked to do was line. give the ins and outs, yeah, give you the yeah. throw-ins. You don't. They very rarely wave offside because they know they've got yeah. back up. Mm-hmm. And all they do is give the throw-ins. So they well, become the Sunday league dads they are. I know I've gone off on a tangent here and it, this wasn't the linesman's fault, but it just shows you how stupid that rule is in the first half. when Was it the first or second half when Luton got an injury? Second. Um, it was yeah. just after we scored. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just a ludicrous rule. And there's been a few injuries because of that now. Um, I can see that getting scrapped at some point. Um, but no, the, the second half, the atmosphere was great. Um, we we scored early on in the, the first half, in the second half, didn't we? And then the atmosphere just, you wouldn't, if you would have been a neutral in that game and you wouldn't have known Luton were third from bottom, you wouldn't have thought they were. And that's not because of how they played. They did all right. It was the atmosphere in the ground. It didn't feel like we were playing a relegation threatened team. It felt like we were playing a good team last night um, with a lot riding on it. And I guess there is a lot riding on it now. It is a cup final for me. Yesterday was more important than Sunday. Um, so, and I think uh, certainly for, for my generation, that is the case. Um I think my dad would probably argue with it, um, but I agree. I think, with that, I think the atmosphere in Anfield last night proved that um, because the fans were right up for it, and that helped the team. And there hasn't been many instances this season where that's happened. And I think we're going to need it. Like I think the crowd are going to have to play the part now um, because the the young lads definitely needed that last night. Tom, it was a it was a great ball in from McAllister, wasn't it? And a fantastic header from Virgil. You know, to get us to get us level, and you know, and that you know that really sort of you know continued with the with the crowd sort of being federal. It was called. You know what I mean? Fantastic. You know what? We were brilliant crosslets. But you know, you've got to give a lot of credit for there, uh, Cody Gakpo. He, he he blocked the runner, you know, and he done it. He done it really. He done it. He, he done it in such a way that he couldn't give it as a foul. Do you know what I mean? Like he, he accidentally bumped into him, but it just gave Virgil that that you know that that sprint. And when he got somebody tried to grab his shirt, and I, I swear to God, he just pure strength and went through. I, I, and I've never seen anyone with such determination to get to the ball. And to add that ball into the goal, it was a captain's goal out there. It was just, it was superb. It was the keeper was never going to save it. It was only one outcome. He wanted it badly, and he took it. You know, like it was, it, it was an exceptional. It, it it highlighted for me the way that he's played over over this season. Mm. You know, like he's back to his best phase. But he is at the moment, you know, like he, he is our captain and he's leading by example, isn't he? 
That goal was superb, Les. As you say, it was a brilliant ball by McAllister, quickly followed by, you know, another one straight away. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a great save yeah. by keeper, wasn't it? From, oh. um, that, from Virgil's header. Oh. You know, the second header. The second one, yeah. yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. You know, like, from, from that, what I'm talking about for, for Gapco, McAllister's yeah. ball for Gapco, oh, my God. Jesus Almighty, just it's just super sublime. Just as soon as it and that turned the game, and as you said about the crowd, it, it turned it, it just turned the volume right up to such an extent, like you just thought Liverpool were gonna run away with it. Tom, you've just let me down there, right? I mean, because after almost a year, right, you got Gakpo's name right, and then Right back, you've just gone right back and called him Gapco again twice. So I don't care. I don't, <laughs> I, don't, I don't care because I don't care because it was a sublime header. I thought everything about that goal typified Liverpool. It just, do you know, like you, you just felt that the senior players were gonna were gonna step up. But these kids, do you know what, Les? I, I said the thing last night, and we're going to say we're going to save this for the further further down the road. But I'm just going to make a, a, a little. I, I was thinking to myself at the end of the game, do you know what? Whoever takes over at Liverpool has got massive, massive shoes to fill. Absolutely, he's got these kids playing. You know, like he's brought all the kids. In, in into into Melwood, he takes the young lads, he brings them training with the first team, who he thinks is good enough. He gets them playing in the system, so they're that comfortable on the ball in the system that they play. So he just takes them because he knows that they're that good and he can use them. And they 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 run through a brick wall for him as babies or not, you know. Like, do you know? He, he, it's just. I think last night summed up Jürgen Klopp last night to me. It summed up why he's the best manager in the world last night. Yeah. That performance, that second half performance. Yeah. To be Please. fair, what the what the Luton manager said. Sorry, Les. What the Luton manager said about Jürgen proves it as well. You could see the respect at the end and what he said afterwards. You, you yeah. spot on, yeah. Tom. Like everything. Everything about him, but I'd go one step further. I know you were saying um, about whoever comes in's got big shoes to fill. Is there a more attractive job to walk into right now? If you're no. a manager, you, you you look at our squad now and you think I could come in, and I don't really need to buy anyone. You know what, though, Ben? This this is why I well said about uh, we'll we'll talk about this in another podcast because mm-hmm. you know, like it, it went near at the time, but you know. I think this the the fact that what he done at the end, you know, going to the four sides of the mm. ground, you mm. know, like yeah, I can understand. I said to me lads last night, all of them last night, I said that you can understand why he's burns himself out. You, you really can. And do you know, you know what, Les? I'm gonna make a statement to you now. Do you know in in five years time? In five years time, when all this is blown over, and you know when we and they look back, and they they look back at his period at Liverpool Football Club, and they'll talk about Jurgen Klopp as being the greatest, as being one of the greatest managers to ever to ever manage in the Premier League. 
because he's been. We've had this conversation, haven't we? All of us. We, he's been robbed of a legacy. This man mm. by by um, by. By, by a cheating club, you know, which has been allowed to get away with it. And, like, what he's done in, in the nine years at Liverpool Football Club is, is nothing short of miraculous. Yeah, mm-hmm. Pete. So, getting back to oh. the... After Tommy's, after Tommy's statements. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll, get back, we'll get back to the game. So, all of a sudden, the pressure, you know, within the stadium... Is released when when Cody puts his, you know, two one up, and then you're just thinking, you know, let's go and get the third goal, and then, you know, finally, you know, we get that cushion when Louis Diaz, you know, who could have had, you know, I think he and Rush one scored four against Luton in a game, I think, and I think, um, I think Cody, um, Louis could have got five last night by himself. I mean, he yeah. he had one. He had one, didn't he, just before the um, the penalty shout, and everybody in the ground, right, where or well, certainly where we were standing, thought that the keeper had saved it. Yes. And when mm. you watch it on the telly, it was blocked by the um, by the defender, right? Yeah. And um, I, but eventually got his goal with probably the hardest chance he had, but it was a lovely finish, and then that yeah. then gave you the cushion, and then as. As Ben mentioned earlier, we then had the incident right from the kickoff, where they went through on goal, and it really is annoying because I can understand them keeping the flags down for the close ones, but that wasn't even close. They were like about three yards offside, two of them, yeah. and he kept his flag down, and that could have resulted in, in you know, Keller being injured. Or... Yeah, I think Chong got injured in that, didn't he? That was Dowdy. <laughs> Dowsey was it as he got injured, yeah. That's right, after the third goal. Just going back to the second goal quickly, as well as the cross from McAllister, um, Connor Bradley proved that right-backs are quick thinking, lads. You know, like Trent against Barcelona, the throw no. was fantastic. Throw-in taken quickly, Pete, when they... Yeah, the exactly. And the yeah. cross, uh, and we've spoken about Cody's header and everything, but, yeah, the third goal, and it was good interception by Robert, wasn't it? He... he yeah. um, he, he sort of he not but he's not even on the pitch about three or four minutes I think Robbo, and he um he intercepted and laid it off and he he took it well Diaz he um he, he didn't actually dummy the keeper but he wasted and wasted and he just slotted it to the keeper's right and then yeah. three one up I mean even a two one up I think you thought the game was done because I think Luton had offered little um after their goal in fairness. But that third goal, it gave us a bit of more breathing space to play. You know, we were very, very patient after that. We were just retaining the ball and letting them run round and chase shadows more than anything. And I was quite happy at 3-1, um, you know, knowing that the game was won, really. Yeah, Ben, then, you know, they, they, Liverpool then sort of, as expected, took the foot off the gas a little bit. You know, Bobby Clark, come on. Um, fair. For, for Grav and then they forced like a few a few corners but never really hurt us or anything and then you know Jürgen then put the two young kids on in James McConnell and, and Jaden Dans and Dans had a hand in the in the fourth goal um, with a with a nice touch inside you know Cody went in I think was was blocked off by the defender and Harvey put it 
put it in with his left foot. And, and just prior to that, Cody had had a chance where he was played through and he put it wide at the cop, which would have put us 4-1 up early, early doors. But when we made it 4-1, you know, everybody was sort of saying, you know, from where I was, you know, we didn't see a 4-1 scoreline at half time. So not only did we did we get the three points, we also boosted our goal difference by another three goals. At half time, I would have took any victory, two one off, two on goals, punched in or whatever. Um but I think as soon as we scored the equalizer, <clears throat> it obviously wasn't game over because we needed to score again. But there was only going to be one winner in that game. And um I agree with Pete about the, the throwing. Throwing uh, took quickly. Um it was an absolutely brilliant ball from McAllister. Um just fantastic. Um and you can see by the reaction from the captain, um, Big Verge, when he came up and he he celebrated with McAllister more than anyone, I think, that goal. And I can't remember if it was Tom who mentioned before about Van Dyke. Um, he's definitely back to his best. There, There is no centre-half in the world that gets anywhere near him. I know Saliba is a good player at, at Arsenal and Diaz is a good player at City. But they cannot, they are nowhere near as good as him. He's just on a level all on his own. And I mentioned about Kwanzaa. Um, Kwanzaa. He's one of these kids, isn't he? But we don't talk about him like he is now. Um, it, if he was bought for 30 or 40 million pounds in the summer, it, he would be in the England squad. I've got no doubt about it. Um, and everyone would be saying, what a bargain, what a player he is. Um, he's absolutely brilliant. Like he's he's absolutely brilliant. His maturity for a centre half of is he twenty or twenty one now? I'm not sure. Twenty, um, I think. Yeah, it's just unreal. And obviously, a lot of that is because of Van Dijk. You've got nobody better to learn from. Um, mm. But I think yeah, just talking about, just talking about him, Van. Mm. The way they the way they we were linked in the summer where we with the lad of Chelsea, Cole, Cole Willis or something oh, like yeah. that. You wouldn't swap him, would you? Quantz knocks him into a tenner. It knocks him into a corner. He yeah, does. I mean, I, I wanted us to buy him in the summer because I thought he'd done yeah. well at Brighton. So did I. Um, but mm-hmm. you look at Quanza now, and if he started on Sunday, you wouldn't be nervous about him starting, would you? No, um, no. I, I don't think he will. I think Ebu will start. Um, I mean, me lad, just, just injecting in there, my lad mentioned that Jamie coming home from the game last night and he said, you know, when you see, you know, Quan's on the timesheet, on the team sheet, sorry, you never you never sort of think, oh, no, he's playing. Not like you did when Lovren was playing, for example. Yeah. So it just proves, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, how much faith and how much he's impressed because you don't you don't have a second thought about it, OK? Quan's in tonight, so it could be, you know, you, you, you're reacting the same, whether it's Quanza. Whether it's Ibu or whether it was Joel Matip. The, th- the thing about Kwanzaa, he's more of a goal threat than Ibu. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. So he's got that in his locker as well. I'm not saying he's a better player, but he's more of a goal threat. Um, so he looks like a real, real talent. Um, you know what was fantastic as well after the fourth goal? Well, the way like all the kids, there was, I bet there'll be a photograph somewhere when Elliot scored mm-hmm. and you got McConnell, Dan's, 
and Kwanzaa all running up, and it was almost like the academy sticking together. I know it yeah. wasn't meant to be like that, but there'll be a photograph somewhere similar to the photograph from Cardiff when when Owen Fowler and, and all that Heskey. celebrated, yeah. you know, Heskey and Steve and, um, yeah. and Heskey. Yeah. Right. And you it was fantastic to see these young kids being so full of enthusiasm and that, you know. Do you know what? Well, you, you made a brilliant point there, Peter. Do you know what he was saying last night? Seven seven kids were on the pitch under the age of 21 last last night. Seven seven players when they finished the game. You know, like it's, you're looking at it and not one of them, not one of them. Bobby Clark doesn't look out of place. McConnell looks like he's played there all the time. He, he does. Oh, he, McConnell comes on. He just he just oozes quality, Les. You you, like you've stolen you've stolen my thunder there, Pete. Uh, sorry, Tom, because I, I was about to say that like none of the young players look out of place, and I was what? saying this to the lad who was sitting next to. Him. And I don't want to throw him under the bus either. But remember the days of like Jay Spearing coming on, and he looked but, out of his depth. But, but, but you know, uh, even know what you know what Ben, you know what yeah. he's saying. Then McConnell, we, we, you know, he just he just drops in, mm. and you know, like we we threw names all the way through. I thought Endo as well. Yeah, they standing alongside these younger mm. players, you know, give them the encouragement to, to, to develop. And mm. you're looking at these, you're looking at them. The, the ooze quality. I think had Harvey Elliott not put that in last night, looking at it from from probably I've got a, a a good view from following up. I think Dan's would have finished it. I yeah. think he, he was running on to it. Yeah, so he it was. was be, he was. Yeah, it was going to be either whoever got there first. And I'm glad it was Harvey Elliott because I think he deserved that. Like yeah, his second half performance, but like his yeah, hundredth appearance I, for us last I night. I think you know. I think these young players are like. Oh my God! It's oh, breathtaking. The, the frightening thing is, as well, our best young player. He's hardly kicked the ball for us this season. And Bichette, mm-hmm. I, I thought you know what, who though, I thought Les. you were going to say then, Ben Doke. I tell you what, Les. I tell ben Doke. But you know, to be honest with you, Ben Doke sort of stagnated a little bit this season when he when he played. He never yeah. really. He never really sort of made the strides. Now it's sometimes you need to go, you need to take a step back to move forward again. I I think he needs a loan. Yeah, and that's what probably happen. Mm. But like, you know, you look and you think. I was just wanted to say what Tom said there. You know, McConnell comes on, and like, you know, I I was saying this to Jamie in the car last night coming home. You know, I like to think that when I because I watch. I watch all the under-18 and all the under-21 or 23 games, whichever they are, when they're on live on LFC TV. And, like, I never sort of... I always thought McConnell was a decent player, Mm. right? But I never thought he would make the strides that he'd made this season. And he looks another one. He's just going to be a complete utter superstar. Like, he just looks at the way he plays... And you, you look at him, you look at Bichettis, you look at Bobby Clark, you know, and then and Connor Bradley is going to be a superstar, Ben. Yeah. He is. You oh, yeah. you know, he already is. Do you, do you know, you, yeah. look at, you look at McConnell, he does everything. Oh, Kevin said to me, you know, like he come, he, when he was coming back from the ground, he phoned me up and he said to me, he, 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 took, he took my 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 ticket last night and he, was say, he said to me, do you know what, Dad? That McConnell, he said, you know, the, the way he uses a football, just not, he said, 
it's not just that he gets it. He gets it and he plays it. He's looking for a forward pass all the time. You know, like, mm. it's just every everything he does, he does really accomplished. He's, yeah. he's going to be a hell of a player, Les. Yeah, yeah. He's going to be a hell of a player. As you said, Pachetic. Now, Stefan's got a lot to prove now, hasn't he? You know, he's, he's coming in. And then younger players that there, don't forget, these lads now have had a run out and tasted... You know the game, so they want to play as well. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not so sure that Jack will ever make it now. Like oh, this yeah. injury, yeah. But yeah. this injury, it's been a year. Like what's wrong? Don't forget. It's just pains, isn't it? Similar to It's miles worse than that, though. Gerard wasn't out for anywhere near this amount of time. It, it was with his back. Yeah. Not for a year. It was. He was, out, he was out for there. He was out for months and months and months with his yeah. back because the actor. They have to, he had to change his car and he tried all sorts. Right. And uh, yeah, he had problems with his back. Um, yeah. And yeah, so I've got no doubt that Bichetic will be back. He's a superstar, that lad. I oh, no, what, he is, yeah. He'll be, um, God, you know, when he comes back and, you know, and, and he sort of gets a full pre-season back and getting this team, playing this type of football, where don't forget, he played in a team last year that had no legs with it at crap. all in midfield. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And all of a sudden, he's going to be playing with McAllister and some Bosnia and Bobby Clark and, you know, Savinbridge and Curtis. You know yeah. what I mean? As I say, you just... Sometimes, sometimes in a generation, you get like a group of players coming through the academy, don't you? And at the same time, and then you'll go a period. And I just wonder whether this is... This is our version of what happened with with United when you know the likes of Beckham and Scholes come through. You yeah. know what I mean? They're all gonna all our young lads are gonna develop at the at the same time. But Ben, just to sum up there, to go out four one winners, you know, it was it was job well done in the end, wasn't it? It was brilliant, Les. And what I was saying to my dad on the way home was we wouldn't have won that last year. Um we might have scraped the draw. There's no way the way the team's mentality was last season. Um, we would have come back and comprehensively won that game. I don't care. Well, if let's it's let's, Liverpool, let's so put it another way, game. Ben. Mm-hmm. If Liverpool would have been last year without Allison, Salah, Jota, mm-hmm. Nunes, all at the same time. You know what I mean? There's no way we would have won that game. No, no that's what I mean, Les. So mm-hmm. it was. There's something special happening in our football club at the moment, except for the manager leaving. But you'd say you'd take that away. Um, everything else, um, I just wish Jürgen was five years younger. <laughs> really Ooh. do, because if he was at the helm now um, for the next five years, he wouldn't have been robbed of the legacy that he does deserve. Um, because there's something special happening. Um, the the it's not right that these young lads come in and look like they're not young lads, just seamlessly. And I've said it before, the whole club is set up to play in a certain way. So every player from the age of eight or whatever upwards plays the same way. And we're ben, can I just say, can I just say, yeah, go on. I think Victor Matos has got to take a lot of credit for that. Yeah, and yeah. it's all about, isn't it, having 
having the right people in the right mm. positions because he acts as doesn't he as the bridge between yeah. the academy mm. and you know on the first team. I think and having them all at Kirby helps as well, you know. Yeah, I know. But he's got he's got no sort of favourites, has he, within no. you know, like if no. you you know yourself, don't you? Mm. If you're a manager of a team, right, you'll always have your favourite players. Yeah. And like they'll be the ones who'll be pushed. You know, push forward. Yeah, you know, he's the one. He, you know, he's my favourite. Yeah, this lad's a good lad. But with Victor Matos being there, he just watches. He's mm. got no favourites, no agendas. So he doesn't care whether a player's been at Liverpool since the age of 10 or they've signed him at the age of 16. You know what I mean? If, if he thinks they're, they're good enough, then he'll send them to train with the first team. And he's the one that the likes of Jürgen and Pep Linders listen to when they want players for the first team. And I think, you know, it's important when we're talking about, you know, mm. it's important that we get his replacement right as well. well whoever that, that's, that might a, be. that's a real shame because why should he have, why should he leave? Maybe um, he do. Yeah, maybe yeah. once as Jürgen's mm. going, you know, maybe they feel they've got to go as a, as a package, so to speak. But if Jürgen's having a year out, don't quite understand why a few of them are leaving. I can understand why Peppers, because he obviously wants to be um, a manager, doesn't he? Um, but yeah, I mean, anyway, we've dissected again. Yeah. Um, I think it was a brilliant performance, Les. It, yeah. Every player that came on looked good. Nobody looked out of place. The atmosphere in the ground was great. It was just a brilliant second half. And like I said earlier, absolutely fantastic preparation for Sunday. Right, Tom, I'm going to come to you now and ask you for your player of the match. Well, I had, I, I've, got, I've got two, and it was a toss up between the two. It, 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 I thought Virgil led by like a, like, like a captain last night. I thought he was amazing. I thought he has about everyone said that he's the best back to being the best in the world. I thought he was superb. But like, I think I'm going to give it to my favourite, to, 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 to my favourites who, who, are, who are like I was desperate just to come to Liverpool. And I think he's starting now to show us the player that he is. And I thought I'm, I'm going with Alexis McAllister. Ben, I think, and I think you know where you're going with this following your text message last night. But go ahead. Who's your nomination? Kelleher. Macker. McAllister. All day. I thought he was head and shoulders the best player on the pitch last night. Pete? I had a few names written down for the, solely for the second half performance. I've got... Uh, as, as much as Louis Diaz missed a few chances, I thought his second half, his energy and everything. I agree with Van Dijk. Endo had a good game. I was made up for Harvey Elias as well. You know, because he, he had his detractors in the first half from the crowd and he deserved his goal. But I've got to agree with the lads. I thought McAllister just drove us forward last night and his two assists as well, just to put the top ass on the foot. I think he was the driving force last night in the second half. So McAllister. Yeah, I think Tom summed it up for me. There was two, it, was, it was between two, Virgil or McAllister. You know, if you would have gone basically on who give, you know, Efforts, just efforts alone. Harvey Elliott would have been, yeah. you know, in the as well. You know, the way he collapsed on the field at the end. You know what I mean? You know, we may not have always had the end product, but you can never 
ever fault the lad of not playing for the shirt. You know what I mean? He'd give us all. But for me, I totally agree with all of you. And Mike said as well in his text message, you know, that McAllister was man of the match, so it's a full house for, for Macca. So, so, Tom, we're now going on to Wembley memories. So, tell Ooh. me, when was the... Um, when was the, what was your first trip to Wembley? And what was your initial thoughts on, on Wembley when you went? Because obviously back in the day, Wembley had a sort of mystique about it, didn't it? It was this holy grail for for, for supporters to go to. Because if you, were, if you were a supporter of a club back in the day, right up until I think 1974 anyway, it was only ever the League Cup final and the FA Cup final that was played there. Yeah. So, and then the Charity Shield got, got moved there when Liverpool played Leeds in 1974. So if you wanted to actually go to Wembley and visit this this mythical place, you actually had to get to a cup final and then you had to be lucky enough to get a ticket. So where was where was your first, when was your first trip down there, Tom? My first trip down there was in 1974. And do you know the Liverpool versus Newcastle? And do you know what, Les? I remember, do you know, as we were driving along, as you know, like where we were, where, where I was with Lenny Ryan and all the lads who speak, who, who got down there. And we were driving down, and you saw the towers, do you know, like the towers for us as you were, you know, in, in the background, because you were coming up to the North Circular and round as you're coming round. Jesus Almighty, just the thought of this, this white, iconic stadium. You know, with these massive towers where the World Cup had been played in '66. You know, like it just, and as you said, it was just, it, it was just going up onto the Wembley Way, walking up to the old Wembley Way. You know, like going in towards these towers and this, this. It, when you got inside, it didn't quite, it didn't quite match the, um, it didn't quite match. It was very simple. It was a dump. Yeah. <laughs> Bullens Road End, where you had the plank of wood. You had the plank of wood with two paint marks. Yeah, <laughs> was was a bit of a, a bit of a letdown, but I'd take that into consideration. It did have big, massive steps, so you'd always got a good view. But yeah, it just 1974 was me with me, me first final. I just loved it. Pete, where was where was yours, and what's your memories? Same game as Tom, seventy-four. Um, I was lucky, you know. I, I could, I could talk for hours on this. It was fantastic. Um, my dad, who was an Evertonian, took me down. I'd never been to an away game, and luckily I got a cup final ticket off the voucher. You give vouchers out just after we beat Leicester in the semi, and my ticket came up, and he said, "Do any of your mates go the aways?" And I said, "No." He said, "You're not going on your own." So he took me, and he waited outside for me. But it's like Tom said, we got off at Wembley Park. And you, you come out and suddenly there's just these two towers in front of you. And it was only eight years after England had won the World Cup there. And the feelings for England from Liverpoolians are not the same as they are today, you know. It, it was such a big thing to win the World Cup. I remember sitting as a kid watching it like, and I was there at this stadium. And I just remember walking up Wembley Way. Um, and up, up ahead, you could just see like loads of people running forwards and backwards. And I thought, oh, they're fighting or something outside. But Newcastle and Liverpool fans got a game of football going. 
<laughs> and there were a few tasty tackles going in. Don't get me wrong, but we were playing football outside on on like the just outside the twin towers. And then I I had a ticket for the upper section standing, and I think you needed like crampons to go from one level to the next. Stairs with about <laughs> two foot high each one. So yeah. like I managed to meet me dad. My dad said to this fellow going in, look after him when he when he goes in, he's on his own. Because I was just I was about what would it be, 12, 13 or something. And this fella took me in with his son. And we managed to get right on the front of the upper section. And it was fantastic. It was just one of them days that, as I say, I could write a book about it. Some of the things that went on on the way home and that, you know, we, we, we got on the Pullman train instead of the ordinary. And we got fed by one of the fellas and I was back home at Lime Street at quarter past nine, so I got in for match of the day as well. Yeah, brilliant. I'll go next because we'll do this in in sort of age order. So so leave, leave the youngster Ben till the end. My first trip was nineteen seventy eight against Nottingham Forest in the um, in the League Cup final, and my experience was very much like Tommy's. You know, you, you sort of we parked at Watford Gap. I went with me with my cousins, Brian and Harry, and um, they took me down in the car and we we parked at Watford Gap and got the got the train in, got off the station as you're walking up and going along Wembley Way, you're seeing these towers and the the butterflies in your you know in your stomach are there and you can feel the anticipation. And then I can remember sort of I was in I had, a, I had a ticket for the stands, so I was in different parts of the ground. So we arranged to meet outside an entrance number when we come out. And um, anyway, I goes in, as it goes in on the concourse, you can hear all the Liverpool fans singing, you know, and I think, wow, this is going to be great. And then I, I find the block where I am. I thought, I can't wait to get in. And it goes in, and I've seen these planks of wood with, uh, <laughs> with, with paint on. And and that was my seat, and it was in, and it was in row two, and it and it was so low down that all you could see was the players' feet, and like it was the worst spec I've ever had. But just to be at Wembley, you know, it was magnificent, and like you know, it ended up nil nil, so I didn't even see a goal. But the fact that I was at Wembley, you know, it was just a magnificent experience, and and then I was lucky enough to get there again for for the 78 European Cup final when it was in the terraces. And that was much better in all, in all ways. So, Ben, what was your first first so, trip? My first trip to Wembley was 1992, uh, Sunderland. You're making us feel final. old now, Ben. Uh, <laughs> and I, I, was, I was a baby, Les. I was eight. Um, so, yeah, I went with my dad, my two granddads, and I think my cousin as well, but I can't remember if he was there. My dad drove down. We went down in the morning. That was my first ever away game, that. Uh, first time I'd ever watched football in a ground that wasn't Anfield. Um, and I didn't have, didn't have a season ticket then. My dad would take me to the odd game and stuff. So it was a massive occasion for me. Um, absolute football fanatic, eight-year-old. Um, and... Yeah, the idea of going to Wembley, like you guys have all said, and seeing the Twin Towers um, was just magical. Like, being the... I think I'd always wanted to be... Well, I always wanted to be a footballer when I was younger. It was quick, quickly obvious that that wasn't really the case. Um, 
but I always wanted to be an architect and I am now. And just seeing the Twin Towers, it was just, I'm glad that I saw them. Um, and I'm sad that they couldn't have been incorporated into the new stadium, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But then you see them and they, they were magical. And then you get inside the ground and it was an absolute dump. Like it, like I, it was just crap inside. Um, and like you, Les, I was, I was a kid. I was right behind, literally centre centre of the goal, and there was you're miles away from the pitch, aren't you? Yeah. Way. There was. Mm. It wasn't like a running track, but it was like a dog track, wasn't it, or whatever it was. Um, and we were on. I think it was row six, so I I couldn't see like the to- like I could see our goal because obviously the goalposts. And it's just the goalpost, the original goalposts at Wembley. I used to love them. They were iconic, weren't they? The shape of them and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I just don't know why they didn't do that in the new one, um, replicate them. But I couldn't see the, the goal line. Um, and I was obviously at the Liverpool end. And every goal that day, there was two, Michael Thomas and Ian Rush. They were both at, that, at our end, which is good, because there's no way I would have been able to see the other end. Um <laughs> It wasn't a very good game. We weren't a very good team in 1992, but we won. Um, and it was it was a great day. Like we, like I said, we went down in the car and my dad drove. And my dad's not bothered about drinking, but his dad, was. he was, Christ, he could drink. Um, and we got to Wembley. We got to, we parked up in a pub um, about a mile or two from Wembley. And it's not like it is now, is it, with all the high-rise buildings? There was, there was nothing ugly there. Um, and we parked in this pub about, I don't know about ten in the morning or something like that, and I don't even know if my gra- if one of my if my dad's dad went to the game. I think he might have just stayed in the pub, <laughs> um, and he, he just slept all the way on. But it was a brilliant day, um, absolutely brilliant. Tom, so move on now. What's your favourite Wembley moment? What's Ooh. your of all the ones you've been, which has been your favourite game? Do you know what I was thinking? I was, I was thinking about this when you, you know when you asked before. I, I think I, I think my favourite game, I think my favourite game was probably the Newcastle game because we won it from from the first time and the way we played football. I think from that that point of view, but but yeah, I, yeah, I'd go with I'd go with with the Newcastle game less. I was I was going to mention the 1989 Cup final, but I'm going to save that for later on. Um, as no no later on, but I I think me I'd go with 1974. Like Peter, it was your first time. I think. I mean, my favourite Liverpool goal would have would have been oh, Alex we'll come, we'll come no, it would have been Alec Lindsay's. Oh but, right, oh, for some. Bizarre reason it was disallowed, but um, yeah, it was just a, it was just a, the atmosphere down there, as Peter said, because we were so young as well. The, the atmosphere, the, the 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 fans, just the build up, even Bruce Forsyth, Bruce Forsyth, ah, yeah, yeah, on, on the podium, just nice put, one, Brucey, <laughs> and he had red kecks on as well, <laughs> yeah, but um. It was just from just everything. Yeah, just I think from that point of view, I think I think I, I'll go with the seventy four. Kevin Keegan's goals were brilliant, and it just it just a just an amazing game. Pete, what's yours? I think I've got to go with the eighty six when we did the double vice. Um, 
we went, we went into the ground with a couple of Evertonian mates. It was the done thing. Then you travelled down together. You had a drink together before. You had a drink after, you know, regardless of the results. But I think just what it meant. I mean, it was only it was only like a month beforehand that I think Everton was Everton and Liverpool were vying for the title, and it was in Everton's hands, wasn't it? And then as the games went on, we went to Leicester in the midweek and won where they lost at Oxford. And then we won it the week before at Stamford Bridge. And it, it was we were just a, like a juggernaut. No one could stop us. And a bit similar almost to last night's game against Luton. Everton took the lead. And we, we were pretty poor in the first half. We, we just didn't get going. And then it was that bad pass from, um, from Gary Stevens that um, was intercepted. And then we just got the equaliser and just marched on. And it was the fact that we actually did the double as well. It wasn't just the fact we beat Evans, Everson, it was the it was the double. So I think 86 for me. Right. As I say, I know I set the I set the question, but I'm gonna cheat because I've got two and I couldn't split them. For and you'll you'll probably understand why. My first one is the 78 European Cup final against yeah. Bruges. That was the the first time I've been in the upper standing enclosure at Wembley, which is the best spec ever. If you were in if you were going to Wembley when it had the terracing, you had to get a ticket for the upper standing enclosure yeah. because this as you said before, Tom, the steps were massive. And I went in there and after the the sort of the little bit of deflation I got when I walked in and sat down against Nottingham Forest. It was exactly the opposite against Bruges. Yeah. You know, I had this spec, the most p- perfect spec you could ever wish to see, stood in front of a barrier, right behind the goal where Kenny scored. And to see, yeah, I'd gone down, the first time I'd ever gone down to Wembley on the football special, the atmosphere at Lime Street Station, you know, queuing up to get the train, you know, the, the anticipation night before, I couldn't sleep. You know, going down in the afternoon and seeing all the Reds and walk, and it was just full of like Liverpool supporters everywhere, and it just, it just as a as a fourteen year old lad, it just sort of took me breath away. You know what I mean? Mm. It was the, it was just an experience that I never thought that I'd, I'd ever see. You know, to, to not only had Liverpool won the European Cup for the first time in seventy seven. They were then going to be the first time to retain the European Cup yeah. in '78, and, and actually to be a 14-year-old lad who was then going to go to Wembley to possibly watch his team win the European Cup. You know, Liverpool. You know, my dad used to tell me stories about you know '64 with you know when they got cheated by by Inter. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And and like yeah. and how Shankly's team, and then we. We'd never come close. And to win it two years running, mm-hmm. and to you know to be right behind the goal when we hear old Kenny scores, and then you know the whole atmosphere there and the whole atmosphere back. And remember getting off at Edgehill's train station about half two, three o'clock in the morning, and there, there, there was fellas there selling all the papers mm-hmm. and buying all the newspapers, and then coming over, just not being able to sleep, and just reading all the newspapers about the about the game and everything. Just a fantastic experience. And the second one is the same one as Pete's. 1986. You know, to win, you know, a week, a week, 
to think a week before or ten two weeks before, sorry, you know, it looked like Everton were gonna do the double. And then within a <clears throat> within a week we've done the double. And to actually, you know, um beat them to do the doubling and you could and even though you'd won the league and it was fantastic to win the league because although Liverpool had played Everton in the 1984 League Cup final at Wembley it had ended in a draw so obviously there was going to be a winner and you didn't want to be the team that didn't win the first or Merseyside FA Cup final at Wembley so to win that game after being 1-0 down and to just be able to walk around the city of Liverpool. And we'd gone for the weekend. Uh, and a cracking story, I've got to tell you this story. We'd gone for the weekend, but one of the lads, Tommy Lee, he he was married to an Evertonian. So we all went for the weekend and stayed in this hotel. And Tommy was staying in a little hotel and he, he stupidly told us which hotel he was staying in. So... On the on the Sunday morning when we're waiting for the coach to take us back to Liverpool, we had like three hours to to kill. We were all we were all just stood in reception, and Uncle George, rest in peace, um, says to us, "Hey, where's uh, where's Tommy staying with his missus? Because nobody, everybody she used to she used to be a real bitter blue at the time." And where's Tommy staying with his missus? And Dave says, are we staying in this hotel? So he said, how far is it? And Dave said, about 10 minutes. So George goes and orders two taxis because there was 10 of us. And he said, right, come on, everybody. We're going to Tommy's hotel. So he walks into the reception and says, can you tell us what room uh, Mr. and Mrs. Lee is staying in, please? And the girl said on reception, sorry, sir. We can't give out that information, he says. She said, there. But we can give him a ring. And he said, no, we don't want him to ring. And he bungs her a fiver. And she said, OK, I'll give you the room. So we all goes up to the room, bangs on the door, and he shouts, room service. <laughs> and she comes over. She's, she's walking to the door. We were all outside and thinking, yeah, I had you. We've done the double. <laughs> and she wouldn't speak to him for a week because she thought he'd put him up to it. So poor Tommy got it in the in the neck because of that. So after that, I'll move on to you, Ben. So what's your favourite? My favourite memory of, of yeah, Wembley. Your favourite game memory, right. yeah. So I've got a couple to be honest. Um, one of them isn't a final. Um, it was. I hate That's the fine. fact that the semi-finals are in Wembley, um, but the semi-final against City the other year. That first half, the atmosphere in the Liverpool end was just unreal. Um, so that that's up there. I think the McManaman final in '95. Again, I was still a kid. I was eleven, um, and no, yeah, I was eleven. Um, and again, we didn't play particularly well, but McManaman played really well that game. Um, my favourite one would have been the Cardiff final, but obviously the final was in Cardiff and not Wembley, the Michael Owen one. So I think it probably was um, the City semi-final, which is a bit sad, really, the fact that it was a semi. But I just thought we played absolutely brilliant. Um, and the atmosphere in that first half, we just blew them away. 
and I really thought we were going to go on and win the treble that year. Um, but hey-ho, we didn't. We still won two. A little story about Wembley, and it goes back to the European Cup final. Um, my dad went. He he went on the train, but it's not about him. It's about my father-in-law. So he had a he passed away about six years ago, I think. Um, he had a season ticket on the cop as well, and um, he he lived in Yorkshire. He was from Yorkshire, and he lived over in Bradford um, when that final was, and he wasn't guaranteed a ticket. So he sent a blank check to Wembley to the uh, office at Wembley, the ticket office at Wembley, and said, um, applying for one ticket for the final, here's a blank check. Anyway, they cashed it and sent him the check. Uh, sorry, they sent him a ticket. So he got a ticket, and he said it was a brilliant spec. He, he just thought, I'm never getting anything here. This this blank check's just going to get ripped up, or someone's going to write it to themselves, and I'm going to get screwed over. Um, but he, he got a ticket from it. Um and obviously he was there as well, which is good. Um, but I don't have that many memories of Wembley, to be honest, because I only went to the old Wembley three times. We won two and lost one. Um, but when the game that we did lose against Man United, the Eric Cantona one in 1996, I walked out of the ground with my dad and I looked, my dad was on my right-hand side and I looked to my left and it was Harry Redknapp literally walking along Wembley Way with us and being the very, very sad um, young kid. He said, don't worry about it. He, I think he called me son. He went, don't worry about it, son. You'll win the league next year. I'll make sure Jamie wins the league. Um, and he was speaking to me and my dad for about five minutes on Wembley Way. A really, really nice guy. Um, but you, I was a bit like in awe because like... Um, when you're a kid and you you see someone who's famous and you don't really know what to do, but he was genuinely a nice guy and he was obviously gutted because Jamie lost, hadn't he? Um, but yeah, so that that's that's my memories of Wembley, I guess. Tom, I know I didn't put this on the on the list, but before I come to your your, your favorite goal and your favorite memory, um, I'll ask you what's your biggest disappointment at Wembley oh, because Jesus. you've got because oh. I, I've got it. I've, I've got a feeling you 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 might be choosing between two. I know you have both both times, yeah. Yeah. My twenty first birthday, the the twenty first of May, nineteen seventy seven, we 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 got beat by by Manchester United two one, and then on my fortieth again May, the, the, what's it called? My fortieth birthday, we got beat by Manchester United in ninety six. Both times we got turned over by them. That's my biggest disappointment. And to them of all teams. Mm. And you know what? I still reckon, I still reckon the 96 one, I, I think the 77 one as well. Audi beat us in 77. Mm. I have no idea. But Audi, 96, I think both teams were rubbish that day. Mm. And I think, I think, I'd, I don't know how Cantona scored that goal. I think I'd have gone to a replay. I think we'd beat them in the replay. I think Liverpool gave them too much respect on the day. I think Robbie mm. had a quiet day. I think Collymore struggled. Mm. Thought Liverpool where they were really strong. So that's my biggest disappointment. You're gonna ask me my goal, aren't you? No, no, I'll come to that in a minute. Pete, what's your what's your biggest disappointment, mate? Mute. You're on mute. 
I'd probably go with Tom on 77 because not uh, not that it was just because it was United, but it, it was the end of the treble dream, wasn't it? And like like Tom said, how, how United beat us that day with two spawny goals, I'll never know. And I didn't actually get a ticket for that. I couldn't get a ticket for that final. So I went round to a gang of us, went round to my mate's house and we had a few drinks watching it. And it was, we were just devastated, to be honest. I mean, another one that comes to mind, once again, a final I couldn't get to, but prior to 74, when Charlie George scored for Arsenal. And once again, we were kids, old, old school kids. So, Pete, just, just interject a little bit, the one you actually went to that was the biggest disappointment then? Oh, that I went to? Oh, Christ. Yeah. Put me would on the spot. Be, I'm trying to think of all the ones I've gone to, you know. Wimbledon must be a bad one, Pete. Yeah, Wimbledon, I suppose. A bit similar to how you mentioned it, Les, against Bruges. Um, Wembley seemed to be like 90% red against Wimbledon. And we we just thought we were going to do the double. Everyone was singing, let's do the double again and that. And then it just went against us, didn't it, when when Hill, the referee, was it Hill? Yeah. Disallowed the goal and the penalty save. And and it, it was just one of them days. And just driving back from there, we hired the car to go down. Me and me and Jean, we went. Me and me missus went down, and um, it was just dead somber driving home. We hardly spoke to one another, and the coaches were going past, and it was just yeah. So probably, probably Wimbledon for one I actually attended. Yeah, for me, it's uh, for one I actually attended. It was ninety six against United when Cantona scored that goal, and it was right near the end as well. It was just like somebody had kicked me in the balls over and over again and it took me it took me around about at least a week to get over it honest to god mm. i was absolutely devastated um and the least said about that the better so i won't go on anymore so ben what's your biggest disappointment when you've been to wembley 96 and nothing compares to that i was absolutely heartbroken i was 12 i was crying my eyes out walking out and even as soon as he scored, you knew it was over. It was too late in the game, wasn't it? Um, and to lose to them, um, yeah, it that was it. That was by far the worst. Tom, your favourite goal now? Jesus, it, it can only there can only be one less. There can only be one. Stephen Gerrard's against West Ham. That was Cardiff. Where was that? Wembley was it? Cardiff. Uh, Fucking hell! We've got that again. You're doing the show. <laughs> oh, I'll delete that. My God, there, there can only there can only be one. It was in a different country. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll, take it, I'll take it back. I'll give it to Kenny Douglas. My second choice. <laughs> oh God! You never let us down, Tom. God, <laughs> Please never change, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. We'll put it down to the morphine because of your name. So we'll, we'll leave it there. Pete, what's your favourite goal that you've seen when you've been at Wembley? Not a card. Probably, it was probably scored from about a yard out, but it was Keegan's second against Newcastle. And obviously yeah. I was there, so I didn't hear the commentary, but you, you know the commentary, how it goes. And Newcastle were laid bare. They were stripped naked. And it was just a moving. I mean, we were two up, coasting. And, it, and all the cop was singing, you never walk alone, because it was literally the last minute of the game. 
And it was just a move that the passes and remember the remember the pass, the crossfield pass, I think Keegan put onto Tommy Smith and he did and and Coleman says he didn't have to move to make the pass and Liverpool are coming out with the party pieces now and there's little one twos going on highway and Smith. And as I say, Keegan was about a yard out, but it wasn't probably the most spectacular goal, but just to put it in context, it was just how we dominated Newcastle on the day, and that just proved it. The last minute, we were just they 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 were gone. They were a spent force, but it was just the way that we, you know, we put the the icing on the cake there, didn't we? It was a cracking goal for that reason, team goal. Yeah, for me, it's another team goal. It's the third goal against Everton in 1986, which was another fantastic team goal, which finished with Ian Rush smashing the the camera in the corner of the goal and when that went in you actually knew that you'd done the double so the celebration and relief and you know and you know just it just you know put the put the icing on the cake of a really really top week and one of the best weeks ever as a Liverpool supporter you know you can still see now Ronnie Whelan playing in the past and emitting it into the corner and Bobby Mims floundering so for me it's Ian Rush's Ben? I've got two, and they're both at Wembley, don't worry. Um, Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Still reckon Stephen Jennings is the best goal. Yeah, it's the best goal ever scored in Wales, so I'll give you that it one. Will. The best um, goal ever scored in the cup final. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was it was up there, wasn't it? Um, although, I, I, it was... But talking about Cardiff, Michael Owens and the, the second goal um, in 2001. Yeah, with Gerard idea, was better. If you but, want it, Ben, oh, you can have it. That's for know. the Cardiff programme, yeah, huh? Yeah, that's fine. So I've got two. Michael Thomas in 92 was a brilliant cool. finish. Yeah, um, yeah. And Steve McManaman scored two great goals in 95, but his second goal um, was something special. Like So I'm torn between them and I yeah, I could flick a coin and one of them would win. Uh, I really don't know, but one of those two. Jimmy Case as well in 78, Les. 77, Tom. Yeah. 77, Jimmy Case in 77 was a brilliant goal. Yeah. Never got anything for it. Sadio's goal against City in the semi-final a couple of years ago was brilliant as well. Uh, so, Tom, you, you, your favourite your favorite overall memory of, of Wembley, you said you were... Yeah, I'm gonna go with eight, eight, 89, Les. I think you're, yeah. for, for the for the reason why you know, like after Hillsborough, I think going to the stadium, playing Everton, and winning the game on 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 the on the day, I thought that that was for that that for me meant more, I think, than any other than any other cup win that we had, you know. So I think for as for for me for my own personal thing, it was it was 89. Yeah, Pete. For you, your your favourite overall memory? That's so many great ones, haven't we, over the years? But I think the one for sentimental reasons and for what he did as a manager, when Graham Sooners asked um, Bob Paisley to go oh, up and collect yeah. the cup and the milk cup. And I remember him walking up the steps with just what he had a scarf round him and one half was behind his back and one down. But the thing the way Suey I don't think I don't think he'd mentioned it to him before the match, you know, and he, he just went up to the boss and said, Look, go on. You deserve to go up and get the cup. And it was fantastic for them to see him, you know, lift the trophy and 
uh, with the team following them and all applauding them as well. It was a fantastic uh, moment. That. For me, again, I agree with Tom. It was the whole occasion in 1989 with, you know, right from the start where you had, you know, Jerry Marsden on, you know, singing You'll Never Walk Alone and, you know, Abide With Me, which was very symbolic, you know, at the time and the fact that, you know, the the, the tickets have been split fairly evenly between, you know, both, both clubs and the fact that, you know, Liverpool actually went on to win the game and lift the FA Cup. You know, when, when Ronnie Whelan went up to lift the cup, I think that just that just capped off the whole the whole occasion, you know what I mean? And it was it was just fantastic, you know, that you know, that Liverpool had, had won the cup in memory of the it was ninety five then, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, that's my favourite. And Ben, just to finish this section off. I think it has to be my first time there, ninety two. Um I don't remember too much about the game because I was so young, um, but just the occasion. The like, I I love going to to finals with my dad, and that was the first one. Um, and yeah, the memories of that is just something I'll never forget. Tom, right? We'll we'll move on now to look forward quickly to the game on Sunday in the in the final. So I'm going to ask you a question here. You know, with the injuries we've got. If you if you could only pick one player to be fit out of Salah and Nunes, which one would you go for? No, that's a hard question, that Les, isn't it? I know that's why I asked you it, yeah, Tom. Jeez, that's a that's a really hard one, that because Nunes is Nunes is like Nunes is a more potent threat overall, but but Salah's a big game player, isn't he? He's just I think if I'd go with Nunes, I think, Les. Yeah. Peter, would you go Nunes. with with outer salary? I'm hoping that because both haven't played since Brentford, they both, I think hopefully they're both going to be fit. But if I had to pick one over the other, I would probably go with Tom and pick Nunes because of the just because of the havoc he can cause. Ben, what would you go for? Mo Salah, all day. All right. day. Okay. He's, yeah, you you don't want to. He's our arguably our best player, so for him, definitely. I I'd make it three one to be fair, and I would go with Nunes as well. I just think that overall, you know, his pace, his power, you know, the way the way he causes havoc, you know, I would go with Nunes. But I hope both are fit. I'll, I'll just what go to I? Pete. I'll just go to Pete a minute. He's normally has his pen and paper out, so. <laughs> I mean, we obviously we don't know with injuries yet what it's likely to be, but but defensively, let me ask you, defensively, what you think the back four will be? Because I we think, have we have got a choice. Yeah, I think I think Keller will start because I don't think Allison's going to be fit anyway. But I think Kells will start. I've gone with Bradley, Canarsie, uh, Virgil, and Robbo as we back four. Tom, would you agree with that? Hundred percent, Les. Yeah, I feel really sorry for Joe Gomez. Mm. I think Joe Gomez has been absolutely brilliant this season, and like deserves it, deserves his chance. But like, um, I think I think Connor Bradley gives you more, doesn't he? And he's, I think, yeah. So I think I'd go definitely go with them three, four. Ben, 
would you agree with Pete's back four there? I do, and I've written that down. But I just think Gomez is going to play, you know. Yeah, well, I, I actually would play Gomez at left-back to start with and then do exactly what he possibly did the other the other day because I think, and then move Gomez across to right-back mm-hmm. and bring Robber one, you know, for mm-hmm. maybe after 60, 65 minutes or something. That's just what I think. I don't think, Pete, that we've got much choice have we in midfield? Do you, no. Because if if Moa if Moa Darwin are fit, you would you, you would assume or possibly that one could start, one could be on the bench, and then that would mean Harvey Elliott dropping back to the bench in the midfield being the same as what started last night. The only alternative could possibly be you start Harvey Elliott instead of mm. Ryan Gravenberch. But yeah, I've, I've got I've got definitely penciled in Endo and McAllister. I think they're assuming. Yeah, I, think they are, I don't yeah. know. I don't know the situation with Curtis Jones. I don't know how bad the injury is. He's not is. making it. He's not going to make it. Three, three to eight weeks, isn't he? Is he? Well, I put I put I put Jones or Gravenberch, so I'd put, probably start with Gravenberch with and leave Elias on the bench. To be honest. Ooh. No. That's Gravenberch. Yeah. What would you do, Ben? I wouldn't have Gravenberch anywhere near the starting lineup. I think um, he's been really good last two games. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I just I think he's better coming off the bench, Les. I would not start him. I genuinely um, wouldn't. I'd, I'd pick Elliot all day. Yeah, I, I think I think Elliot's. I know he played the full game last night, but I think Elliot's better and impact off the bench. He is, but Elliot's done far more in a Liverpool shirt to start a cup final than Gravenberg. So what we go on top? What 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 would you go for? I'd go I'd go with Gravenberch, I think, because he's I think he's I think Harvey Elliott, I think it would be better coming off off the bench, I think, in that type of game. I think Gravenberch on a big open pitch would I, I think he's played I think yeah, it's a bit harsh on him, Ben, I think. Last couple of games, I think he's played all right. You know, to be to be fair to the last. No, he has. I, I don't think I've been harsh on him, Tom. I haven't criticised him. I just don't I, think he should be starting the cup final. And I just think, do you know what? He's big. He's strong. And I, I remember him carrying the ball at, at, at the Etihad for Liverpool's equaliser. Mm. And I think in the big open space, I think he, I think he might do well. And what? And do you know what? He's he's a quality player. I know we. We, we sometimes we've got to cut players a little bit of slack, haven't we? Because he's just come in and like he, he you know, like you think so, he's better than Elliot? I think yes. at the moment, I, I think, I think there's very little between the two. But I, I think, I think on, on a big open pitch, with I think he's, I think he's quicker than Elliot, and and I think, I think Harvey Elliot will do, I, I'll be better as an impact player on the day. I just. Just it's just horses for courses, isn't it? Mm. Really, I think. I, I think with McAllister, if you've got McAllister and Endo, neither are really are blessed with lightning pace, although they both press really, both press really well. But I think Gravenberts has got pace and he's got and he's got press in there. So I think he, he I think we might need a, a, a really, you know, with a quick pair of legs in the midfield. Yeah, I, I agree with Tom. I'd go with Gravenberch along with Endo and McAllister. And another reason as well, I would go with Gravenberch, Edward Elliott, if it comes to a strict choice between them. 
is if you play midfield of Elliot, McAllister, and um, and Endo, you 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 may as well play with no overhead height because the midfield will be really small. So, so is theirs though, like um, oh god, um, Concedo will play only, and the other brute, the other Fernand- Argentine, Fernandez. Mm. yeah, Fernandez. So they've got no height in midfield, and Con- um, who's the in- Connor, um, Connor Gallagher, yeah, yeah he's mm. playing well, isn't he, Gallagher? Yeah, the thing is though, they, I'm not so, I'm not saying that they have got more height in midfield than us, but don't forget. You still gotta, you still gotta try and defend set pieces. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, so and that's another reason why I would go with Graven Birch. And the other thing I totally agree with both Pete and Tom is that I think Elliot is far better as an impact player than a starter. And I think you're losing a little bit of a, another weapon you can use. Mm. I think, I think if you're asking me for the choice, use a better impact player, Elliot or Graven Birch. I'd say Elliot. If you're asking me who does more as a starter, Elliot or Gravenberch, you'd say Gravenberch. So that's why I would I would do Elliot on the bench and Gravenberch to start for both of those reasons. But then, you know, we're, we're, we're left then with, you know, we don't know what the situation is up front, so we could end up that Elliot has to start again. Mm. Mm. So we've just got to keep our fingers crossed for good news when we think- when we get the press press conference with Pep Linders I, tomorrow. I think what I think the only, the only well we we would don't know. I mean that the best we could think we could hope for him would be a place on the bench, Tom. Yeah, he was saying where yeah. he was saying players day by day, he was saying yeah. day, you know you know but like, maybe maybe a place know. on the bench. What were you gonna say then, Pete? Sorry. I think the only definite starter up front is Diaz, isn't it? Yeah, well, you just hope that Mo and, Mo and, um, and Nunes have had that week. I think Gakpo's nailed on. Yeah, I can't yeah. see. I can't see. Even if they said tomorrow that Mo and Darwin were likely to be fit, I just couldn't see him starting both of them because then you're risking, aren't you, both mm. of them breaking down? So I, I think it's a it's ninety nine percent certain that Gakpo and Diaz start. And, and bear in, yeah, bearing in mind, there's a high chance it's going to be a hundred and twenty minute plus game. Yeah. So it's a long game, and on a bit. I think we'll, I think we'll beat them over ninety minutes this time, Ben. I hope so, Tom. I hope so. You know what? I've got a got a feeling that you know, like. I, I looked at, I thought like we'd done them in two finals and we did, we've done them over penalties, you know, in both finals. Mm. And I think overall, they've had, they've had like, they've had the rub of the green over Liverpool for years and years mm. in cup competitions. So maybe it's, this is, this is our, our turn. And I, I think, I think this, this time, I think, I, I think with youth, with, with some of the younger players as well mm. on the bench, like to impact, I think, I think we're going to do them. I, I, I fancy us to beat them over ninety minutes. Okay, Tom. As you've said that, give us your prediction. I fancy Liverpool to win two one, Les. Okay, Pete. Uh, I'll go two nil for Liverpool. Ben. Uh, one nil. Don't, don't say penalties, please. No, one nil. One nil. Jesus. I'm with Ben. I think it'll be one nil Liverpool. So the first time I've agreed with you all night, Ben, and let's hope that it's um, let's right. hope that we both get it right. Uh-huh. Um, so on that note, 
will end this edition of the late flag, which also included memories of Wembley and also our preview of the Carabao Cup final on Sunday. Yo, and when, and don't, don't forget, Les, just sorry, just to interject. Also, when, uh, memories of Cardiff for some people as well. Yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Four times I went to Cardiff now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll do a Cardiff special one day, Tom, and you'll pick your favourite goal at Wembley. I've yeah. got be- I've got better memories in Cardiff than Wembley, to be honest with you. Yeah. So, yeah. so except for the Arsenal game. One we won. Charity Shield. Yeah. Congratulations to Tom on finally getting Gakpo's name right for the first time, then reverting to type. So so on that note, as I say, we'll end this edition of the LFC Poets podcast. As I always end by saying, you'll never walk alone. Don't buy the sun and justice for the 97. Safe trip down to Wembley for all Reds. And let's bring the cup back again and get the first leg of the quadruple in the trophy cabinet. Until next time, see you soon.